Tonight, I can report to the American people and to the world that the United States has conducted an operation that killed Osama bin Laden. Where we continue to follow the capture and killing of Osama bin Laden now. Those are just some of the scenes overnight as thousands of Americans gathered in celebration of Osama bin Laden's death. Former Navy SEAL Rob O'Neill says he has thought about the mission every day since that May Day in 2011. Multiple conversations you had with Rob O'Neill over the past year and a half. How'd you get and you described that his head kind of exploded yes. when you hit him. I, I actually hit him three times because I shot him twice when he was standing and once on the ground. That is the fucking American badass. Go, go, go. We are not going for fame and we are not going for bravado. We are going for the single mom who dropped her kids off at elementary school on a Tuesday morning and then 45 minutes later she jumped to her death out of a skyscraper. If you need help, hang up and then dial your operator. I'm Rob O'Neill, and this is the Operator Podcast. Hey, welcome back. Episode 56 of the Operator Podcast. Today, I'm going to interview Jason Koloski, the CEO of uh, Watchtower Firearms, a company that I'm a partner with because we want to talk about the Second Amendment uh, how it's so important right now, uh, getting into that, government contracts, uh, why guns are important, why American-made guns are important. So I'm very excited to talk to him today. Um, but first, I need to talk about some of our sponsors. Have you heard of Tactical Baby Gear? Because war has rules and babies do not. Dirty diaper screaming fits and sleepless nights. Parenthood is not for the faint of heart. Trust me, I know that. Tactical Baby Gear was founded by parents... Four parents with kit. You'll be proud to carry it. looks very, very cool. Every spit-up, blowout, and meltdown along the way, you can handle it. Prepare for whatever parenting needs with everything cool, like I just said. Uh, one of the things that we're pushing now is the uh, the packet of wipes. It's a little eight-pack of wipes, and you can get a 10-pack 10, 10 of eight-packs for five bucks at tacticalbabygear.com. Uh, everything you need because babies are not uh, predictable, and they seem to poop whenever they want. Uh, they're, they're, they've got these uh, awesome diaper bags that mom and dad can carry. Seven different mod panels with uh, hook and pile tape, Velcro. Uh, put mommy on there, daddy on there, so we know who's who. Uh, you can keep it all uh, in in, uh, in, a, in good order. Tactical totes. Packing cubes. that uh, They're like little zipper bags that you can put everything uh, in line so we can be uh, compartmentalized. It's highly practical, highly functional, extremely high quality, always ready. Everything you need, diaper bags, like I said, the pouches and wipes, strollers, wagons, everything in between, lifetime warranty. Go to tacticalbabygear.com and use code THEOPERATOR and save 15%. Tacticalbabygear.com, code THEOPERATOR. We always say don't tread on me. Now it's don't poop on me. God, guns, and diapers, baby. And also, before we get started with episode 56 of the Operator Podcast, I need to talk about... Another sponsor, because we talk about preparation quite a bit, and that's Allegiance Gold. Allegiance Gold has been with me since the beginning of this podcast, so that's about 56 episodes. I really appreciate them. Uh, Allegiance Gold's mission is to help clients protect their wealth and retirement accounts by diversifying and investing in physical precious metals. They've achieved the highest possible ratings from verified third-party consumer protection agencies, millions of dollars in completed transactions, and five-star ratings from every client. Has helped them to be recognized as the most trusted gold IRA firm in the nation. Allegiance Gold can help you protect your IRA or 401k with physical gold and silver, or if you prefer, have it delivered 
securely right to your front door. Since the beginning of time, there is only one universal currency that is always of value, something you can touch, and that is gold. Allegiance Gold has the highest ratings in the industry. Five stars with Trustlink, a AAA rating with the Business Consumer Alliance, and an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. You can invest with confidence because of the quality and service of Allegiance Gold. Get up to $5,000 in free silver on a qualifying purchase when you visit, get a load of this, protectwiththeoperator.com. Protectwiththeoperator.com. Do that today, or you can give them a call at 844-790-9191. 844-790-9191. Do not let the Fed play Monopoly with your money. Protect your future with Allegiance Gold. So go to protectwiththeoperator.com or call them at 844-790-9191. Oh, welcome back to the Operator Podcast. Uh, Robert J. O'Neill here. It's called the Operator Podcast because, as I've mentioned before, as a former special operator, um, I like to tell you my thoughts on what I think is happening around the world, everything from current events, World Cup to uh, um, politics, guns, Second Amendment, stuff like that. And I'd like to get your opinion as an operator, what you think of what I'm saying, obviously, at at the Operator Podcast on Instagram or at Mikhuya, M-C-H-O-O-Y-A-H. I want to get your feeling as an operator. Every now and then, I'm able to interview people who are actual operators. And I have Jason Koloski with me, who's a buddy of mine, a business partner of mine, a former recon Marine, and now the CEO of Watchtower Firearms, something we went together with. We'll get into why, Jason. Uh, welcome to the Operator Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Robert J. O'Neill. Good to be here, brother. Great to be here too, man. We have so much to talk about. I, um, I get asked, you know, I, I made the mistake once of saying something about guns that didn't jive with everyone. So, uh, whenever I ask people to, uh, what they want to hear from me, they always ask for my stance on certain things like guns. And I figured I'd bring you on as the, the CEO of the baddest ass um, gun manufacturer in the United States. I'll bring you on just to let people know from my point, not from my point of view, in my defense that I'm actually not an, I'm a pro-gun guy. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I get the sense you're a pretty pro-gun guy too. You know, it's uh, it's interesting. We, we can get into all of this, but once you start talking about uh, the media, social media, the way the narrative is ca- carved up, how you go about uh, dragging somebody through the mud, I mean, I, I got to tell you, I, I think the media right now is probably the greatest health risk to the country and um, the way things are put out there and misconstrued. So I, I'm I'm OK with uh, having you as one of our brand ambassadors and a business partner and uh, uh, as somebody who's hunted all their life, somebody who's concealed carried all their life, and somebody who owns a gun company. I think we're OK. Yeah, we should be. Well, so you know what I did is uh, it's, it's, again, one of those things where if you don't 100 percent agree with either side of the party you're on, they're gonna they will turn on you in a heartbeat. It's like anything with the with the liberals and the leftists and the woke stuff. If you say one thing wrong, they're all over you. The same thing with a lot of the the far right. Um, say one thing they don't like, and all of a sudden you uh, despise guns. I, you know what? Did I tell you what my mistake was that I said? Oh no, let's hear it. I mean, I, I well, heard it once before. It was Mickey yeah, Mouse. I said uh, I said for home defense, I personally love a pump action shotgun, and. I think I like it because of the noise it makes, the deterrent, and um, you know, it's if you know how to use it, it's it's a very very useful gun. But uh, 
people started calling me a big pussy because, well, why would you need to cock the gun when you can just shoot it out? And it's like, there's a lot more to killing someone. I don't want to kill someone in my house. You know how long you're going to be there cleaning that shit up? I just want them to go away. It's, it's not like the SWAT team's coming to get me. It's like a, a crackhead trying to steal my watch. I just want him to leave. Yeah. Yeah, there, there's a lot of uh, armchair quarterbacks out there. They're great at Nintendo. I guess I'm aging myself. Sorry. They're great at video games. Uh, not too many of them have seen the business end of a, a pistol yeah. or a rifle. So I, I'm, I'm I'm okay with that, brother. I think yeah, yeah. Uh, a lot of silliness. Yeah, just a little bit of silliness. But again, I, that's why I wanted to bring you on. You are an expert as far as guns and as far as the Second Amendment. And uh, I can't wait to talk about that because, again, something that gets me in trouble is I'm not saying not shall not be infringed i'm just saying can we have a conversation as time goes on is it possible maybe maybe not because you know both sides of the aisle especially as far as a two-way you don't want to give a lot of these leftists any space at all because they're never going to give it back and they don't give the right an inch either so should be an interesting conversation yeah you know it's you know and it will be and i'm, I'm looking forward to getting through all this with you um but, you know, in, in in the history of America, there hasn't been an expansion of the Second Amendment. There's only been a retraction of the yes. Second Amendment. Excellent. So we, we kind of we already know where the, the left fits into this conversation. And, you know, I don't, I don't mean to be overly political because, frankly, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty I'm, I'm right of center. Uh, that's that's where my politics align with. I'm, I'm incredibly right on national security issues, incredibly right on Second Amendment issues. But there's never been an expansion of the Second Amendment. There's only been a contraction. There's been people, John uh, John Stewart recently uh, changed the meaning of the word regulated from the 17th century dialect to evidently means government regulation to him when that's not what it meant. It's meant yep. simply and only to be proficient. So the founders were encouraging every American citizen to be proficient with a rifle. Um, unfortunately, the congressman he was interviewing and he gave a quite a bit of crap to didn't understand the actual lexicon of that, that period of time. So again, we, we, I, I love talking second amendment, happy to do it all day long, brother. So wait a minute, you're telling me someone in Congress didn't understand what was being said, even though they were arguing. Shocking. It's, <laughs> um, you know, there's, there's a lot of that going around. Evidently as of yesterday, uh, most members of Congress are not aware of what a, um, a waived SAP program is. Uh, mm -hmm. They're not aware of, what a special access program is. They just believe they have oversight over everything and thus every bit of UFO information should be out there also. So yeah, Congress, Congress kind of misses the ball occasionally. Um, yeah. yeah. Do you not, not to, this has nothing to do with firearms. <laughs> What's your thought on the UFO thing? Why is that all, why is that all coming about now? Yeah, Cause we'll get into your, uh, cause you, you've actually got a lot more experience in the, the deeper government, the department of defense than I do. I'm I'm dying to hear about that. But what what are your thoughts on the new uh, uh, aerial phenomenon, the UAPs, the UFOs? Um, so we, we can get into my time working for the Secretary of Defense. Um, you know, it's it's interesting, and I'm not trying to dodge the question at all. I I don't know the first single thing about that. What I do know is the people who talk about it um, do not have access to any of the stuff that would even be near. If, if there was that world, I know the lexicon they use to speak about these things. Um, and you know, so I love watching your podcast. Thank I love you. watching Sean Ryan's podcast. Yes. And he had some doctor that did something that 
met with someone at DIA or he wanted to meet with the director of DIA. So the, that's kind of the first tell to me. The, the Defense Intelligence Agency would not, has not, does not have anything to do with that world. Mm-hmm. It's purely an operational intelligence collection agency to support the warfighter. So you start having some of these conversations or you start listening to some of these people talk and they're clearly not connected with any grounded reality when it comes to the bureaucratic world that actually functions and works in D.C. Now, that being said, there is some tangential points that are pretty damn interesting. Uh, So I don't want to poo-poo what they're saying, um, but it's some of it's a stretch when you get into the meat and potatoes of how this stuff actually works in, in, in DC. It, it seems to me like a lot of people are now coming out of the woodwork because it, it's, it's popular now to talk about UFOs and what they've seen everything, you know, cause you got the pilots in the, uh, on the carriers that saw whatever they saw. And now you got these guys that have made the documentaries. And I'm just wondering how many of them are simply trying to get a little airtime for, cause that 15 minute window uh, might not, cause a lot of these dudes are saying shit that it's, it's almost cause I, you know, I've been to, we did certain things, certain places where, we sign paperwork and it's like, you really can't say this because your ass is going to end up in prison. A lot of these guys that are saying how they've seen these little green men don't seem to care about prison because they might not be telling the truth, but there's, there's gotta be a reason behind it, why they're coming out of everywhere. Well, yeah. So, so here, here, again, in the world that is special access programs in the world that is wavered special access programs, you're telling me you can talk about methods and indications. You can talk about deception programs. Mm-hmm. You can talk. You can't talk about those things, but you can talk about UFOs. It just strikes me as a very strange. We're, we're not going to tell you about the the, the secret level or the confidential level information. Right. But we're going to tell you about something that's humanity changing. Uh, okay, sure, sounds good. I have a I have a out the back door crazy ass theory on why the UFO stuff's coming up so much. You want to hear it? Let's do it. They need another pandemic. They need another reason for all of us to be afraid of something at once. And that's going to inch them closer to the one world order. If we get invaded supposedly by aliens, we all need one big leader. And, you know, Klaus Schwab out there with the World Economic Forum is right at the front of the list, man. If we can get Klaus Schwab, John Kerry and a few of those guys just to tell us what's what. It might take aliens to bring us all together, but you know, it'll be digital currency and uh and then you don't need to own anything, you can just be part of the part of the part of the population. That's my theory. Could be wrong. I'm I'm loving the conversation. I'm not sure I'm going along with that part, but it's, okay. it's a theory. I could I could be full of shit and I might have just finished happy hour. We don't know. So um <laughs> what what's in the mug, right? Um so, uh, so getting back to firearms and not these crazy conspiracy theories, what, uh, can you, what's, what, what got you, you, you were in the Marine Corps. What start? how did that start? Cause you're, I think your family, uh, fought in every war since World War II, correct? Yeah. So, um, like how, how the hell did we get here? Um, so I come from a, a long line of people who served in the military, World War II, Vietnam, Korea, current day. Um, my son just recently graduated Marine Corps OCS. Uh, I think he was number seven in the entire class, did a magnificent job, super proud of him. Outstanding, yeah. Um, but um, yeah, so it was when I was a kid, uh, the military was something that was big in our family. It was never really preached. It was never really spoke about in any type of you should or shouldn't do this, but it was, it was omnipresent. Uh, 
So, you know, growing up, patriotism was just something interwoven with, with everything I did. Um, patriotism and work. Um, we'll talk a little bit about the defense industry here in a little bit and a lot of where it's gone with a lot of this DE&I and, and other things that are going on in the world. And I, um, I didn't, I didn't really have a whole lot of privilege, you know, as soon as I, uh, was in junior high, I was cleaning bathrooms in a state park, uh, working on maintenance crews, uh, digging ditches. Um, my family was a big fan of work. And, uh, if I wasn't uh, studying, uh, which I wasn't a lot of times, yeah, right. uh, I was, I, I was, I was working. So, um, you know, all that kind of coming full circle. When I had the opportunity to join the military, I grew up also, my father was a Marine, Michael, Michael was a Marine, and they were Vietnam era guys. And so I had always heard stories of force recon, recon battalion. And, you know, these yeah. guys are superhuman animals that did all this amazing stuff, did pull-ups off the water towers at, you know, Camp Lejeune and on and on and on. So it was kind of natural. It was a natural progression. Um, that I wanted to do something like that. So uh, when I had that opportunity, uh, I jumped on it, um, joined the Marine Corps in 92, um, had the opportunity to go through recon selection and um, yeah, went, went through all of that. And it, you know, it's, it's a lot different nowadays and it's a, you know, I always kind of, always kind of joke. I, I don't tend to take myself in too seriously. I've um, noticed that. That's good. It's a good thing. It's a good trait. Seriously, <laughs> I don't, I don't tend to take myself that seriously, Rob. But we, um, every time I get into a conversation with another SEAL or another Green Beret, there's always this. You know, I was always an expert runner, or swimmer, or whatever the storyline may be. And I got to tell you, when I got there, I was an expert at shallow water blackouts drowning <laughs> i could shallow water blackout quicker than anybody uh, um i was an expert of just freezing my ass off um and it's something you know it's something i actually always admired about the teams was when i went through you guys had a really consistent program you know buds was what it was and it was difficult as hell but you kind of you, you had a sense of what was going to happen um and that's kind of where the reconnaissance community is nowadays. They have a very scripted, um, highly repetitive process. And it's hard, just like just like what you guys go through. Mm -hmm. But when I went through, on any given day, it could be an absolute hazing exercise where, you know, you have no earthly idea what's coming at you. And it could go on for months and months and months, depending on when your actual formal class picks up. You know, another, and I'm going to circle back, one of the things that it's it's different in the Marine Corps, you know, when you, I'm guessing, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but when you reported in, you went, you went to BUDS and then you went to a team. Yes. So for us, you go to the recon battalion or you go to the force recon company and the games begin. And that could last a week. That could last a year. Before now is this a, this is before uh, selection course to become a recon marine? This is this yeah this is what we used to call RIP recon indoctrination process. Okay, and it, all, it would all depend on when you could get a quota to go to the basic reconnaissance course. Uh, okay, Pacific, Pacific was basic reconnaissance course. 
East Coast was amphibious reconnaissance, of course, same same setup. But it was, um, and this is this is reflective of the Marine Corps as a whole. And again, my son just wrapping up OCS is it's kind of uh, an exemplar where they expect you at the formal schools to show up with a level of proficiency. So you're you've basically proven yourself in all the pre-training. Now we're going to go through this. Can you do the 50 meter crossover? Can you do the 16 minute three mile run? Can you, you know, on and on. And there's there's obviously some training in there, but whether it's OCS or the recon community, you're going through all of the hard stuff when you check into the unit. You're going through pre-scuba, you know, the pre-BRC course. And so then you get to go to the formal course. So you okay. you could have been in there at that point in time. You could have been in there for a month. You could have been in there for a year yeah. before you finally get to go to the, the equivalence of what you guys would consider. Yeah. But before what we would call one one day, you might you might have been there for a year. You mentioned um, not to jump around the 50 meter crossover. What is that? Really? I mean, was it the 50 meter underwater swim? Which one is it? Yeah. Okay, I, I don't know. Crossover, cr- crossover. Okay, yeah. Okay, okay. I know. Different I'm just saying <laughs> that was okay. Was it all in house? Like you're, you, this is Recon Marines in, to instructing the courses. Is it, is it like a structured course, or is it kind of just there? So again, now, and I'm jealous. Like now, those guys have a very hard, very structured course of instruction they go through. Um, in 1992, it was you know, some really old and crusty dudes from the eighties yeah. and some Vietnam's, you know, what's left of that. And it was like, prepare to cross over, cross gotcha. over and just keep doing it until we're done with our cocktail. And it's <laughs> like on and on. Yeah. We, you know, we had people shallow water blackout and constantly because they didn't have, you know, the force structure. And what's great about big Navy is you guys have a force structure. You have to get so many people. You have to do so many things. Yes. Um, you have that setup. The Marine Corps hates recon. Has always hated recon. It was a necessary evil. So is that now? Is that because of the? Um, again, not to interrupt, but uh, I know that a lot of Marines didn't like recon because they would say all Marines are snipers, all Marines are special forces, or whatever, and they didn't want the that. No, seriously, because they didn't like recon being recon, even though they had gone a little bit above and beyond. Like, is that part of the case, or or? Very much part of the case because I mean the, the Marines wouldn't the Marines wouldn't get funding for a long time because they were so hard headed or jar headed not to admit there were certain people that need more funding for the better material because they're just a there's a different mission set that the Marine Corps big Marine Corps doesn't want to admit is that the case? Yeah, that that and it's cultural. It yeah. you're not going to find that in some kind of regulation or policy. It, it is a cultural thing, and it gets back to. Um, so what was it? Uh, no, Nun Cohen, the the Nun Cohen Amendment, I think was eighty six, and Goldwater Nichols was eighty seven. I may got I may got that I may got that backwards, but oh, I'm sure someone will correct us. I'm I'm sure somebody in the comments will square me away as they should. <laughs> um, but I, for the, for people who don't know what we're talking about, so th- there was basically two pieces of legislation. Post Operation Eagle Claw, which was the Desert One catastrophe. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, they basically cut, codified how our combatant command structure, so Southcom, PACOM, UCOM, uh, CENTCOM, how they're all structured, US Special Operations Command. Yes. 
And then what levels and engagement is will our military work in? And so um, when it got time to create SOCOM, the Marine Corps opted out. They said, yes. listen, we, you know, Green Berets, SEALs, PJs, Rangers, I guess, they, they're all part of U.S. Special Operations Command. They have a different funding line, and they're going to do these surgical, very high-end, but limited numbers of missions. Um, then you kind of have the rest of the force down beneath when we go to war, and we got to have those conventional forces that are doing all the really hard work. Well, somewhere in between there is the Marine Corps. And so if you have a NEO, if you need a force in readiness sitting off the coast, you know, there's certain things that, frankly, a, a recon team or a SEAL team, just they're too small. They can't do. So if you have a, a Marine Expeditionary Unit, which is a battalion reinforced with air power, artillery, ready to drop in on anyone at any given time, you don't have to wait for the Rangers to pack parachutes. They're there in theater at any given time all around the world. Mm -hmm. Well, the Marine Corps' argument was just like big army used to need the special forces we still are that force in readiness and we need our recon marines to be able to be that that tripwire that limited raid that limited in extremist hostage rescue force so that was the whole thinking about it and so that gets into the conversation of why is the marine why are recon marines not special ops yes. well it's because we report directly to the marine corps in those national missions that the marine corps is tasked with but not those same type of national missions that say a SEAL team would be tasked to. So it just depends on what level of war we're talking about. What, yes. what part of what piece of where, where in the conflict spectrum is America on any given day throughout the eighties, nineties, up until 1911 Marine Corps dealt with the most different spectrums of conflict of any of the branches. And, I, you know, I can remember that, you know, there's a lot of poor guys that were sitting at Fort Bragg twiddling their thumbs where we were deploying over and over and over and over. Well, as soon as the, the balloon went up, well, that changed. So it's a it's, it's a different type of 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 how we engage in the national security structure, but just as important. Yeah. How is do you think the pipeline has changed since they. Uh... Well, since when you, you when you went in, like you were mentioning, the dudes are kind of in house having a cocktail. I, I mean, I remember even now, um, the pipeline to become a Navy SEAL is more structured as far as nutrition, uh, preparation. Uh, you know, you're not running in boots until you absolutely need to because we're not killing your shins. Um, and even when I was at, at six, you know, we would hire the best civilian skydivers, the best civilian pistol shooters to teach us because they're they specialize in that. And like when I went through the tandem bundle course. Um, we had civilian tandem masters teaching us. And they said back in the day, you'd have a guy from gold team that, you know, hung over, you'd burn in, not burn in, but you'd auger in on a, a downwind leg and he'd come out smelling like beer, like <laughs> you're a fucking idiot, as opposed to teaching you how the canopy actually flies, you know? And it just seems like the in-house, like, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to teach you with the shallow water blackout or the, you know, doing crossovers all day or whatever. The, the, but the Marine Corps, I think they've gotten smarter now, haven't they? Oh, no doubt. And so this is one of those things where uh, if I truly want to be old and grouchy, I'd say, you know, we walked uphill backwards both yep. ways, you know, naked. Um, the reality, the, 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 the reality is the guys that are going through the pipeline now, um, mm -hmm. they have it so much better. And by better, I don't mean easier. I mean, smarter, mm -hmm. smarter, harder, better. Yep. It's, there's a pipeline in place. There's controls in place. 
uh, and they're just they're they're creating better products. I'll tell you what, man. On uh, some of these social media sites, I've seen some of the shit the Marsot guys are doing. Uh, as far as the pool work, as far as the the underwater breath holding, the um, that's some they're doing some serious shit, man. Like uh, I'm impressed with like you know we talk about the woke military and uh, um how it's easier and stress cards. Some of these fucking dudes are pipe hitters, man. And I'm 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 watching the structure of these courses and it's badass. I remember talking to um. I, so I left in 2012 and they were just starting to integrate uh, the Marsat guys sort of into green team selection uh, for SEAL Team 6. And right. what they were saying was the the hardest part of this is having these Marine officers go back to the Marine Corps because they're going to want to stay here. But yeah. that was a necessary, not evil, but a necessary, you know, show them this and then bring it back type thing. And I think the word I've gotten is it's, it's just, you know, head and shoulders above the the quality of training um, than, than even when I went through uh, selection in 2004. Yeah, I, I think the world, I think that's true of the world we came from universally within the special operations community. I think with the the woke stuff you're seeing is much more of a, a general purpose force. And I feel bad for those guys. Yeah, I do too. It's, it's not a happy day for those guys. But I think from a, a special operator standpoint, it's, it has got exponentially better because of what you all suffered, what you all went through during the global war on terrorism. Um, those, those lessons have been learned, implemented in the forces just that yeah. much better as a result. Yeah. And it does. I mean, even, you know, the stuff we argue about on social media, it does make me feel better at night knowing that we know damn well, we have people out there that, that, I mean, not only can still do the job, but are still doing the job and in places that we've kind of forgotten about, we still got men and women over there doing the good shit. So that's, yeah. I mean, that's uh you know, that, that's our little slice of uh, American, American apple pie in the flag right now. And, a and, a and, uh, the general Lee, not the general Lee, we can't say that a very nice sports car that's red without anything on it. <laughs> we'll stick with so, old glory. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's cool. Cool. So, um, and how long were you in the Marine Corps? Uh, six years. So not very long. Um, you know, I, I enjoyed the conversation with you, Rob, and we've talked about this before, but you know, what I got to do is I got to serve with some of our nation's greatest heroes. I don't consider myself one for a second. I didn't do, uh, the stuff you did. Um, I don't, uh, the, the people I was surrounded with truly became some of our nation's greatest heroes. And I'm just proud to have known them, worked with them and been in the company of heroes. That's very cool. That's awesome. Um, can we get into some of the process of, um, working with the government in the DOD and then working like with Raytheon, different contracts and just, uh, you know, not insider info, but I know that you've, you've done a lot of cool shit working in the middle East, working in the far East, different types of, uh, deals, contracts, shit like that. I mean, wh where did you, where did you first start out after the Marine Corps? Yeah. So, um, I got out of the Marine Corps, um, ended up going to work. Um, it's, it's way too long of a story. I'll, I'll summarize it. But so but I got into foreign military sales for the government. <clears throat> so ended up working uh, for the Navy's international program office. So I was heavily involved in building out capacity in other countries, kind of at the deck plate level. So uh, worked very uh, hard and directly with the Saudi military, rebuilding their naval forces, everything from frigates down to patrol craft, the whole shooting match. Um, I worked, you know, it's funny. I deployed on the 15th Mew on the USS Cleveland and 
the steam and cleave. And I ended up actually being the gentleman in charge of selling uh, this, the Cleveland to another foreign country. So I uh, worked in excess defense articles. Movie. So basically big arms type of deals uh, mm -hmm. within the Navy, which flowed down to the Marine Corps and the Coast Guard. So um, I did that for a bit. Um, it was it was interesting. It, it really gave me kind of an insider's view of how we sell arms, why we sell arms, you know, where we build capacity across the globe that supports U.S. war fighters if the balloon goes up and, and, and how we maintain those assets across the globe. Um, I must have done a reasonably decent job at it because um, I got sent to the, the war college as a result. Uh, and so for the people who don't know, so war college is basically where you take a, a, a Navy captain, an 06, a Marine colonel or a GS-15, so a, a senior civilian and say, okay, we're going to prepare you to become a flag officer or in my case, a senior executive service member. Um, and then when you're done with that, you usually go on to, to work at a, a number of places. I ended up um, going to work at the Office of the Secretary of Defense. So I worked for Bob Gates, um, Leon Panetta, Chuck Hagel, a, a touch of Ash Carter. Now, I was not political. Uh, I, was a, I was a creature of the swamp. So I, I grew up in Louisiana as one creature of the swamp and ended up as a bureaucrat, uh, as a uh, career civilian staff member uh, working at the Pentagon. So ran South and Southeast Asia for a little bit. Uh, so India, satellite countries around India, and then um, ended up going to the Middle East, which, which you mentioned a second ago, which was um, more than a little interesting. I, I would tell you, so when I talk about this time, I was very excited when I got to the Pentagon because you really, when you're working for the Secretary of Defense, you really see that civilian control the Constitution talks about yeah. come crashing into the military. And up until that point, you know, look, I, I went from E5, you know, I was a sergeant, <laughs> right, to a, a colonel equivalent as a GS-15. So it was it was a bit of a jump. It was, yeah. it was a touch of a jump. Now, you said the, the Naval War College, that is 06 and up, right? A national war college, but yes, national war college. Okay, um, yes. How okay? How how long is that course? A year. Well, cool. it, it's so it's it's uh August through May. It's not the summer period, so it's less than a year. Yes, and and then uh, what's so, what? I mean, what's that like going from an E five into a room full of colonels? Well, it was more than a little bit interesting. I was about 20 years younger than everyone. Yeah, that's what I thought. Uh, the way I got there was highly entertaining. So I had a number of flag officers that I had worked for. Uh, one, of the, you know, one of the things that civilians don't understand is they, they think a flag officer or a senior military officer just snap their fingers. Everybody snaps to and does exactly what they say. And that just, I mean, as you and I both know, that just couldn't be further from the truth. Yeah. So whether, whether you're at the platoon or squadron or our battalion division, whatever echelon you're at, you always have to have an XO. You always have to have a, you know, a sergeant major or a, yes. a, and command master chief. And um, I kind of served that purpose for a couple of flag officers. They were they were happy to sick me on any number of other uh, flag officers they didn't like, and they needed stuff to get done, and we got it done. 
Um, and so I continually got invited by people who really liked me a lot and sit in rooms with people who really didn't like me a lot. <laughs> yeah. That, I've heard it get to certain levels, like even, uh, at like the national security council level that, uh, four stars won't even really entertain talking to three stars because they're not quite at their level or some shit like that. Well, yes, yes and no. I, I don't really think so. Actually, I've spent a lot of time and we can talk about it working on the on the NSC structure, the National Security Council structure, which is broken down into the actual NSC, then the principals committee, deputies committees, interagency policy committees. It, there's surprisingly very few, if any, military officers there. So when you get into that level of oxygen and this is one of the things that drives me nuts about watching television you have all these three and four stars and a couple there's always a lieutenant colonel in there for whatever reason <laughs> he's got to carry the luggage i i guess but they're always espousing like this is the way things work in washington and there's a couple of them especially on cnn that i watch and they have never been in a decisional meeting in their lives that's not what they do and so there's there's this there's this crazy kind of belief that just rank equates to access rank equates to decisional authority on a national level. And it just, it could not be any more dishonest of them to say those type of things. You know, the, the reality is the constitution does work. There is civilian control. The military is put there for a reason. And when you get into, do we go to war? Do we send in the seals? Do we send in a mu to an area? Those are national level decisions the joint chiefs will send a rep to those meetings so that they can give their best military advice. If there is a civilian question as it pertains to flow of troops, logistics, things of that nature. But until we get into a wartime environment, that that's just not real. They're yeah. not in those meetings. So I, I always kind of get a chuckle when we, we kind of, you, you start hearing these people talk about, well, you know, the, the president's going to think this, well, how would you know? You've never been in the room with him. <laughs> is is there is there um is there a buffer in between like uh, what the chairman of the Joint Chiefs hears um, and doesn't hear? Like when when General Milley is saying he was not aware of um, white rage and he didn't know they were funding drag shows at Nellis, did he actually not know, or is he lying, or is he just incompetent, or none of the above? So again, not trying to be evasive. I don't. I don't know the guy too, and I'm not trying to badmouth him. Yeah. I always seem to bring him up because I don't. I mean, I mean, he. As far as I know, he's legit. When they're like those motherfuckers, never told me they were doing that. I don't know. So I, I would say two things. Um, one, at this point in time, he should know. Well, he. I doubt he should. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but but when that first started. Again, I'm, I'm kind of middle of the road. I'm kind of a student of studying national security policy. I, I'm not sure that's something that was big on his radar screen. Or other people that's what I was thinking shows. too, yeah. He's got a couple of other things to worry about. Now, I know it plays well when the congressman of the week knows about it, has a picture, and True. can crap on him because he's part of the Biden administration. I get that. Right. And I'm a fan of that. I'm not a fan of this administration. But... I, I think we, as Americans, we should cut him some slack. If, if we're I do too. If we're concerned about the the chief of staff or the or the the chairman of the Joint Chiefs should spend his days focused on that again when this first started, not now. 
Um, yeah. That's a tough spot to be in too, because I think there's, I think there's other things that he needs to focus on. Yeah. Cause you're, I mean, there have been very few five-star generals and he's got to, he's got to be thinking about what to do next. I mean, when you get to that flag level too, you're dealing with bureaucrats and politicians. You, you there needs to be some politics in there with the way you talk. It's gotta be, a, it's gotta be a tough spot, especially when everyone, everyone below you that really has no idea what you're doing day to day, myself included. And we can just sit here on social media and talk shit. Cause you know, like I said, I've never met Mark Milley, but from what I've heard, he's a great dude. Um, that's, you know, uh, but again, uh, bad, met, bad news, I've bad news gets the few, rating. So <laughs> I've met very few combatant commanders or chairmans that are not spectacular human beings that work yeah. their asses. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you, whether you're, uh, an undersecretary, an assistant secretary, a, a four-star, your calendar from six o'clock in the morning to the yep. eight o'clock at night does not miss a beat. These guys barely have time to have anything to eat. Uh, is one of their senior staff members. I can tell you, like, I, there's days I went, I missed breakfast, lunch, and got a you know a biscuit for dinner kind of thing. You're kind of stuck in the Pentagon. Uh, you can't, you know, when you we have these JWIX terminals, so everything that's TS and above, you can't yep. leave your desk. You have to be there. And so you're always on call. It's it's not it's easy to throw stones, but it's it's not yes. a it's a grind. It's a grind. I uh I remember too just dealing with like the commanding officer where I was working or one of the groups. Um the the first time I realized why they call them their minutes. You got the minutes for this because like you're saying, every single minute is structured and they're always like when you ask them, hey, you want to meet for a a drink at uh, town center later and the CEO going, well, let me, uh, and like literally look at one of the staff members. Can I do that? Nope. It's <laughs> like just yeah. full. So they are, I mean, and I, you know, there's a difference between being busy and being productive, but they're definitely busy. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so, you know, and, and there's things, you know, Rob, that happen all the time that, um, and it's anything from lives that matter, you know, things that, you know, like when, when you guys, hit the compound in the bottom that, you know, that is a, that is a focus of everyone, but there's also just the daily things that happen in America to uh, prepare people. So, you know, when I was in South and Southeast Asia, there was, there's a couple of interesting stories, but one of them, there's this belief that general officers just go out there and say whatever they want. And they're like Douglas MacArthur. And that again, could not be further from the truth. Yeah. We, so the civilian control of the military comes into play when any four-star, any three-star goes out and talks to the American people. There's a murder board. So oh, yeah. you, you have a group of senior civilians from the Office of the Secretary that will get on a civets, a secure BTC, with that four-star, and they will just walk them through the paces, rake them through the coals. And they appreciate it because they don't want to screw up when they have to go give their posture briefings to Congress uh, or when they have to do any number of other things. But the first time I ever had to prepare a four-star was uh, Bob Willard, the PACOM commander Mm -hmm. at the time. And Admiral Willard, great guy, loved him. Um, We had worked, I don't know, maybe a week just every single question that he could get asked on the right the left front center and it was again it was one of the first times so you know it was kind of like you know instead of uh senior senior executive Koloski it was more like Sergeant Koloski calling his parents and going yeah 
you know, I, I prepared Adam Willard. He's going to be on the, he's going to be giving his posture <laughs> statement. You know, when he says this, I'm the one who told him that. And um, he got up there. He was doing a magnificent job, just knocking it all out of the park. And there was a congressman from Georgia. Um, I think his name was Hank Johnson. Mm-hmm. And he started, he was speaking relatively slowly. I wasn't really sure what was going on. I was watching this all in real time. And he basically said, look, I understand, you know, Admiral uh, Willard, I understand you're putting a lot of Marines on Guam. And I'm, oh my God, I remember this. Go ahead. Yeah, that's right. He goes, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really concerned about the environmental effects. And so I immediately thought, okay, we got that in the bag. The environmental stuff we've covered with with Bob, <laughs> he knows this. But then it took a weird turn. Oh yeah, it did. His environmental concerns were that the island flip over because there was too many Marines on it. Yep, I believe the word he used was capsized. Capsized. That's exactly. It's like, and and I remember, yeah. That, so uh, uh, the admiral said um, at first he didn't think he was serious. And then he I had to be that. respectful, like, well, it's like you almost want to say, dude, it's a fucking volcano. It's a mountain in the it's not just floating there. It's Guam is a yeah, and that's an elected member of Congress. Boy, I that was fucking incredible. What do you say so, to that? How did that how did the how did the Admiral keep such a damn <laughs> do you what did he say later? Did anyone get any minutes on that? Uh I'm not gonna tell you what he said in private. Oh, come on, this is an exclusive. <laughs> but at any rate, uh we all just kind of laughed about it. And I, uh, you know, my mother called me and uh, she was like, yeah, good job prepping. Good job prepping <laughs> the Admiral. You, you should have thought of that, son. Yeah. Why yeah. didn't you think of the island capsizing? I don't know. What if what if the entire Pacific evaporates? What, yeah, yeah. But I mean, and, and I think someone was trying to defend the congressman later saying, well, he was just kidding. He wasn't kidding. The guy's an yeah. idiot. No, he wasn't kidding. I don't. I don't know what was going on with him, but uh, that oh, was funny. You know, we, you know, any given day, Rob, it was anything from you guys hitting a target to, you know, congressman from Georgia worried yes. about island flipping over, and you'd never know. Uh, you know, the same thing would happen in the Middle East. It was just take that experience, put it on steroids introduced the Israelis hitting targets. They were not cleared to hit on any given day. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I was, I was basically always in a sprint to the secretary's office that X just happened. Here are the talking points uh, that you need to deploy to the media. And um, what, and they're, uh, I mean, they're doing that now too. Every, every dude, every man or woman you see briefing the press has been through the murder board and the briefs, correct? Like they, they think they might have thought of what the press might ask them. So, you know, again, look, human beings are human beings. The, the secretary of defense or the under or any of the assistants, they cover vast swaths of territory, right? And so they have a big staff, uh, yeah. one of which, two of which I oversaw. And it's our job, everything from taking all the intelligence process products and condensing them and okay boss here's the three options based off of all these intelligence products right here is x just happened we have already been on the phone with capital x y and z and here's here's what we need to do to be able to uh address the concerns that you're going to get in the press we know we know this is where cnn's going we know this is where fox news is going so bim bam boom and they, they don't 
th- that is that is all pre-produced. Yes. And um, you can tell a lot of them, some more than others, but it's generally my personal opinion. When you get a uh, a flag officer briefing the press, as opposed to someone like the press secretary at the White House, um, there's a I forget his name. I think he's an Air Force One star and he's one of the spokesmen for the Pentagon. And he's so prepped all the time and he's so good that he he convinces the person asking him the questions that he just answered the question without really saying anything at all. And you can kind of see in his face, like, I'm so fucking over this. Just waiting for that second star in a better parking spot. <laughs> but, uh, well, they're, like, I mean, there, there are points now where, I mean, you see the in the white house briefing room, like you don't even need to say anything. Some of these things like, well, we've already talked about that and we've addressed that. And the president's been very clear, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just going to, I'm going to just deflect this to the, uh, the secret service about the, I don't know, the bag of blow that we can't seem to place on anybody. <laughs> it is no, but it's, it, we used to call the, um, the Pentagon. I dig, I mean, it's just the Pentagon and it's, it's, uh, it's historic. Uh, I think it's the largest, um, um, building in the world low as far as largest yeah. low rise office building in the world. Yeah, yeah, it's it's cool to be there. We used to call it the five sided wind tunnel because a lot of stuff's going on. But um, like even with the the cafe in the middle that the mm-hmm. Russians had like three nukes pointed at, it was just a cafe. It wasn't they weren't plant. They didn't have the maps out like the uh, like the like the uh, North Vietnamese regulars in the caves. <laughs> they just just you know just getting some coffee. But how <laughs> so? How long? How long at the Pentagon? You were there for a couple of administrations. Uh, for eight years in total. Uh, mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so I, was, I was there for the, the end of the Bush administration. And then uh, I went through the Obama administration for a period of time. And it, um, it I, I don't know, I had, um, I'm, I'm going to leave this person's name out. I had a mentor that's a very well-known political yeah. figure. You don't have to leave his name out. You can tell me. Uh, I won't tell anyone. Um, and he basically said, look, if, if you're interested in, in, and doing other things in life, uh, you, you need to, you need to step out of this and, yeah. and do some, do something where you make money. Yep. So okay. uh, before we get into that, when uh, there was a transition between the Bush administration and Obama administration, did a lot of people take the W's off the keyboards like they did at the white house? You know, Rob, there's, there's again, there's so much. just. <laughs> it's, just I know it's all so bullshit. Much. I just think it's fun to bring up. What what is Joe? So Joe Rogan has a, a word that I think is just absolutely dead on, spot on, mm-hmm. when it comes to a lot of this stuff. It, it, yes. It's fuckery. There, there's fuckery, a lot good. of fuckery that is reported, and so look, maybe that happened, maybe it didn't. But by I and doubt large, it happened. But it's funny to me. Yeah, I doubt <laughs> it. The fuckery, yeah, that's uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, because they always talk about the transition from the the different administrations and how. I mean, you see the picture of the um everyone when Donald Trump was coming into the white house, when Hillary was supposed to be elected, but you see all the staffers and they're pissed. And that's, you know, that's what happens when you lose. I did have one more question though, about you said the, the sale of the USS Cleveland. Yes. Uh, was that now, was that a cruiser? Was which, cause I think there was a Cleveland, no, there was a Denver and the Austin that were Austin class LPDs. And you said Mew, um, which said LPD. What was it? Was the Cleveland a cruiser? No, no, it was an LPD. LPD. Okay, good. Yeah, because the flat bottom. Yeah, those are. Yeah, I did a cru- I did a cruise on the Austin. What a lovely, lovely ship. Oh yeah. But the new the the new I think they just released. Um, they just commissioned a new one in April, a new Cleveland, which is uh one of those badass stealth ships. I think I could be wrong. 
But yeah, uh, I don't know what they would have recommissioned. All I know is, you know, everything when I left, it was kind of like when you leave high school and they build a new basketball gym and uh-huh. it's really awesome. Well, that's kind of the deal with the LPDs. Like we were, the conditions were not horrible, but it surely wasn't what they have today. I mean, now the, the new class of LPDs they have, it's like, oh, sick. It's, it's like we're going to go into combat after staying at the Ritz Carlton. And I mean, it's phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah, those are nice. They're nice ships. I think even the food's gotten better. I remember uh, doing Gator Squares on the Austin, and all they had was uh, stale rice and brown gravy. Well, I mean, which in the Navy we learned. You might have learned in the Marine Corps, um, gravy and and uh, some hot sauce makes it better. I, you know, I can't. I couldn't go a, me- a meal without having some kind of chicken strip. <laughs> but I mean, they were good chicken strips. They're incredible. What was your What was your favorite MRE? Oh God, uh, none of them. None of them. Um, no, and this this is this is where recon departs from the rest of the Marine Corps. So, uh, w- when you uh, when you're out in Camp Pendleton training and you're under like some bridge and trussels, uh, you know Domino's delivers uh, as, as long as you have a grid square because all the Domino's drivers are are Marines also. So you can get that's a, grid a good point because that's well before drop the pin. But yeah, they're all damn. That's a good point. Bring the pizza to us. That's a good idea. But outside of bank, outside of uh, box thinking, man. I uh I was a big fan of um I like the beef stew. I had uh I had Rangers teach me how to make a beef stew with cheese and then some sort of uh uh chocolate mousse with the cocoa or some weird shit. I remember that was pretty impressive. So <laughs> so we're way we're way off a of subject there. So um Pentagon G what were you GS twelve, you said? No, <laughs> I was a GS fifteen. GS fifteen. So I don't even know how that rank structure works. I barely I barely have the uh, Air Force structure down, so I don't know the GS world but um so uh, sorry so someone said um you need to make some money so where do you go well so it was a combination of a, a number of things i was being a little flip in my comment earlier but um i'd gone about as far as i was going to go without crossing the rubicon and becoming a um a political appointee i, was, mm-hmm. I wasn't going to go much further and the access and the job that i it, it was it was as far as i was going to go uh, i i was um uh, I was doing very well, but um, had the opportunity to go work for Raytheon. Yes. So uh, second largest defense contractor in the world. Um, they had a lot of interesting things going on at the time. And uh, I had an opportunity to go there and work in their Washington operations office. And so all of our engagements with uh, the Pentagon, the State Department, uh, the White House, uh, Capitol Hill, and uh did that for a number of years, uh, enjoyed it and, uh, ended up, uh, we, so Raytheon merged with UTC, uh, United Technologies. And then I had the opportunity to head back to, uh, the South, which I hadn't been to in 25 years. So I left Louisiana as a kid and spent all my time either in the Marines or in Washington. So I had the opportunity to head back to the South, jumped on that opportunity to get out of the beltway as soon as humanly possible headed down to McKinney, Texas and, uh, yes. you know, height, height of COVID, but, um, you know, the free Republic didn't disappoint. There wasn't a lot of silliness in Texas during COVID, uh, and life, life was pretty good. So what, ended up, um, um, what in particular, now I know there's a lot, but what in particular, um, wanted what, like, what's the main reason you wanted to get out of the beltway? Like one of them. <laughs> well, uh, all the reasons you'd expect. I mean, when when you've lived in that environment, for, you know, I think there's a lot of idealism 
So it, it's it's similar. There's there's not a lot of difference between the um, the kid who wants to become a special operator and joins one of those organizations. And at a certain point in time, the reality of what we do becomes it's hard. I mean, emotionally, spiritually, physically, especially as you get older, uh, it still may be fun, but it's it gets it's hard. You're you're yeah. carrying in a big load in a lot of different ways. Well, DC is no different. There's a lot of true believers. And that's the good news for the American public. There are a lot of true believers. Kids who come from great schools, they want to serve. They may not be able to run three miles in under 16 minutes or yeah. swim, but but they're big brains. They're interested in foreign policy and they're trying to do the right thing. Well, you get to a point where it's um it's it's hard topics. It's never, you know, there's not a, um, there's never a day when I worked at OSD where we had a, you know, somebody was drunk at a bar type of issue. Those are not the issues we deal with. They're always the worst case of the worst case of the worst case issues. And you, you kind of get a sense of you're, you're, you're like a vice cop. You're only dealing with bad issues every single day. So mm-hmm. at a certain point, um, I just, I'd had enough and I was ready yeah. to move on and, and live my life. So Texas was looking pretty good. And yes, we jumped. My, uh, my first few jobs out of the Navy, out of Virginia beach, I moved to DC and I worked in the beltway, uh, on the Hill worked for a lobbying firm, a lot of stuff like that. And, and again, it's, it's cool at first, <laughs> but then, you know, one thing that I realized about DC is it's a hell of a lot smaller than you think. It's uh it's a smaller place than you think, and everybody talks. So just be careful. Super small, super tribal. Yes. Oh yeah. Very tribal. So people, you know, Donald Trump's, you know, creatures of the swamp. I, I get a kick out of that. I like to use that because I was, I, I guess, for all intents and purposes, I was there. But it's it's uh, um the, the more accurate is it's tribal. You have a a, a Republican class. You have a Democratic mm-hmm. class. You have a bureaucratic class, you have a military class, and those Venn diagrams overlap at various different points. And you you really have to understand how that scorecard works in order to navigate. If you can navigate it, you're invaluable. If you're dogmatic, you're not going to get much done. No. And and anyone there, every single person in that Northern Virginia, D.C. Beltway area, it's all type A. They all start out as true believers. Uh, and they yes, all pretty, they do. They all end up kind of where I am, you know, back in the the American you know countryside. Never ever wanting to go back to doing that again. You see that a lot with uh, elected officials too. I know a couple guys that were um, that ran for Congress and won because they they retired either from the military or in some cases professional football, and they had their retirement, but their property taxes kept going up, and they're like, "Well, I need to go to Congress to fix this." And then it's just they learn that it's it's a very, very muddy, swampy place and not a lot of fixing going on. And um, you're either with the party or you're out. Yeah, and it's incremental. And that's that's the part that's the part the founders got so right. You know, we don't yes, they want did. change. We want there to be gridlock. People are like, oh, there's gridlock in Washington. Well, that, that's not a bad thing. That means we're essentially this. We're doing the same things and we're we have the same vision that the founders did. Um, now, is it a bad thing if we don't, if we pass a continuing resolution instead of the NDA? Yes, that's a bad thing. 
But on large scale topics, you don't want a lot of change. You want the country to be the way the founders left it. So um, again, it's it's all part of the media narrative. Yeah. It's how you want to spend it, how you want to tell it. Okay, so so um, leaving the Pentagon, GS fifteen, um, which is the highest pay grade, I believe, for GSs, right? Yeah, yeah. I didn't want to insult you. I was just kind of throwing numbers around earlier. <laughs> well, you know, look, look. Last time I checked, you were a senior chief, dude, and we always talk about Bin Laden, but you were a big deal. Like you would have been like you had the coffee mug. You're telling people, yeah. What to- well, you I know, mean, come that- on. Well, I I had just made chief when we um, rescued Captain Phillips from Somali pirates. And one of the big deals on a Navy ship, as you probably know, is the chief's mess. You know, that's where the gunnies and the chiefs hang out. And I had just made chief. So I went in there just all cocky, like I'm a chief. I'm going to drink coffee with the chief's mess as they rescued the uh, Captain Phillips. So I'm in there drinking coffee and they're out there rescuing the world. I'm like, well, son of a bitch, was that worth it or not? But um, so. Leaving the Pentagon, getting to Raytheon, what, um, ju- I mean, dealing big contracts everywhere, what, because you and I have sort of touched on the military industrial complex and obviously everything back to the uh, Eisenhower's departing speech in the 50s when he was saying, beware of this. And my personal thoughts on how they've never passed an audit and we don't know where the money goes. And, and I mean, you're up and close and personal, seeing it closer than I was. What, what do you have any particular thoughts about that without getting in trouble? No, no, I, I, I can. That's something I can definitely talk freely to. I mean, look, I, I think there's there's two different uh, streams of thought here. So on one hand, um, so the Eisenhower speech also is often taken out of context. There's only one part of it that's like that a lot of folks like the quote, right? The, I, I would encourage everybody to listen to the entirety of that entire thing. Okay, that's usually the case, right? That's, that's usually the case about most everything. Yes, but. But but putting that aside, um, look, there's a lot of conflation and it goes, you know, in my lifetime back to the Gulf War. So Brown and Root, KBR, uh, you have defense, quote unquote, defense contractors. Those are not actually those are those are defense contractors in the term. They have won a defense contract, but they're not the classic Lockheed Martin, Northrop Grumman, Raytheon, Boeing building material for the warfighters type of contractors. Mm-hmm. And there's clearly some, um, again, to borrow from Brother Rogan, there is some fuckery going on there. There's no uh, debating that, no denying that. That conflation, though, with what the American public has to understand is when when Lockheed Martin is asked to develop the F-22, I'm sorry, the F-35, um, they're inventing every subsystem that goes into the aircraft. It didn't exist before. Right. And anything that did exist before is a market wholesale improvement. Now, you know, I'm a reasonably intelligent guy with a master's in, in international relations, but I'm not a PhD in, you know, mechanical engineering. I'm not a PhD in literally rocket science. Yes. So every single component of that aircraft has to be invented. The the level of stealth coating that's applied, it's a whole new level. It's a whole new type of material. It's a whole new um, nano structure that they put into these aircraft. So when you start adding up the number of PhDs, and so the days of Rosie the Riveter, Riveter are over. 
Like that person doesn't exist. Every person, and I won't speak to Lockheed, I'll, I'll speak to what I know at Raytheon. Every single person on the Tomahawk cruise missile production line has at least a master's or a double E in engineering. Most right. of them have PhDs in astrophysics. They're not cheap. So we can start the conversation there. Then it's, again, it hasn't been developed. So do you make mistakes when you develop stuff? I happen to own a firearms company. We're on the other side of the learning curve and we still make mistakes sometimes in, in some of our builds. And that's a much simpler thing to do than building a Tomahawk cruise missile. Yes. So I think it's fashionable for pick a congressperson to, they're going to stick it to these big industrial complex organizations uh, so that they can show the American public they're doing their job. Okay, that's good. But the reality is we have we have surpassed Rome in our ability to reach across the globe and inflict damage on whomever mm -hmm. we feel. And that's a product of those millions and billions of dollars spent so that no other nation can come near what we can do. Yes. And yet, there, there again, we get back to the media narrative that if you're on the left, they're going to tell you something you want to hear and believe and take you down a path. If you're on the right, they're going to tell you a narrative, take you down a path. But by and large, inventing things that can surveil a target, uh, target, like literally, you know what I mean? Target yeah. a target and go terminal is not just simply something that magically appears. It requires a ton of effort, years of development, years of test and evaluation. And these things cost money. It's, 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 that's, that's the reality of all of this. Now, are there, again, are there the KBRs out there that have, have done bad things? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Is it the majority? No, it's not even close. That is, um, that's actually really refreshing to hear too. And it's nice to be reminded because, you know, I've done the same thing saying the money spent here and where's, you know, too much redundancy there. I wasn't complaining a lot when we had a call a drone in that could blast a hellfire up someone's ass for us. That's the nice thing. That's when, when you when you do get the uh, the stealth bombers and stealth fighters. I've I've called in uh, GPS bombs myself um, on on targets right in front of me. And it's really fucking nice to know that some doctor somewhere came up with something that did, just did that for me. It's really nice that a smart guy in one of those labs came up with this to make sure we win the fight. I'm really glad they have the stealth technology for our submarines and our ships, our surface ships and our missiles. So that is, uh, that actually makes me feel very, very proud of these people too. Cause I'll, I'll get be the first to bitch about uh, Halliburton and how they got every truck there and their, their food sucks. But when you get to the, uh, the technology and the satellites and the GPS, the electronic warfare, the smart guys out there. That's, I mean, that's really refreshing to hear. And it's a, gives me a little piece of humble pie. Maybe I don't know everything either. Well, you know, Rob, it has. So for those high end systems, again, Halliburton's not building those type of high end systems. No, right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and that's where the conflation in the, in the news media comes into play. But, you know, it, it Raytheon, and, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll say something very, uh, very positive about the company I used to work at. It has to work. It has to work every time. It has to yes. work under conditions because exactly like you or I are downrange and we're counting on it. If we're calling that airstrike in, it's because something has gone wrong. Yes. And there is no margin for error. And so every single peep, every single person in those factories understands that we would constantly bring in war fighters yeah. 
and I really don't like using that term. We'd bring in yeah. Marines, we'd bring in Green Berets, we'd bring in SEALs, we'd bring in uh, battalion commanders that fought some epic battle somewhere in Iraq or Afghanistan, just to talk to our, our factory workers so they understand the importance of it. They have a lot of these factory workers, and we would uh, highlight it, underscore it, applaud it, their sons and daughters served in the military. We put up banners, pictures of them hanging from the rafters of those young men and women that were were forwardly deployed because it it was very personal to everyone in there. So there's a narrative in Washington. It's, you know, those dirty contractors, they charge a lot. And again, it's easy to be negative, but the yes. reality is th these people, they view themselves as great Americans providing American equipment to our our sons and daughters on the battlefield. And yeah. they're not going to screw that up. They're not going to screw that up for the world. That is awesome to know that too, because when the, the bickering about the, the small stuff that's not important <clears throat> gets pushed to the side because of a war with China, we're going to be really happy. We had that technology because uh, that's, that's what you're going to need it. So no, that's, that's good to hear that. That's um, <clears throat> it's important to remember too. And it's, it's easy to get sucked in the, the budget stuff and the audit stuff, but the realization that, that, um, I hate, you know, you don't like saying warfighter. I don't like saying tip of the spear, but when the rubber meets a road, you're going to want all that shit to, to come together. And again, too, with more of a <clears throat> so precise and so close to where you need it now and you can't fail. I'm just, I'm glad, I'm glad they're on our team. So that's really, that's really badass, really badass to, to look at it that way. So now the, the big reason we're here, we got to talk about Watchtower Firearms. <laughs> um, I'm serious. We got to do that because I got, I got involved as you know, and simply, uh, flew down to Houston just to check out the factory to see what's going on. H how did you get involved with watchtower? Can you give us a little background on the best guns in the country? Yeah, yeah it's pretty awesome. Um, so, you know, I wrapped up my time at Raytheon after the, um, after the merger, unfortunately, there is a woke permutation um, that has come into a lot of our bigger companies. And I, it's sad, but it's, it's unfortunately a reality. Um, you have a lot of kind of preaching the quality of outcomes. And, you know, if you close your eyes and you just try and not pay attention to the words that are being said or what it means... I guess it's fuzzy. I guess it's warm. I guess certain people like it. Um, but it, it, to my ear at that point in time, it was, it was kind of like Mark Twain once said, um, you know, history doesn't necessarily repeat itself, but it, it absolutely rhymes. And when I would hear a lot of these equality of outcomes, it would always remind me again, I'm a, I'm a bit of a, a history nerd, a student of history, whatever you want to call it. It was kind of like uh, China's great leap forward. Great term. You know, China had a great leap forward. What what happened during the great leap forward? Well, 55 million people died and it was yeah. the greatest famine in human history. Uh, but it was it was literally this concept of what we're dealing with here in the country. It's pure socialism. And, you know, earlier in the show, we talked about, you know, my family had fought in every conflict in modern history. And, you know, they went through a lot for that. And it was, you know, I don't want to say conscientious observer, but I got to the point where I was like, I'm a highly compensated executive and there's no amount of money that's worth this whatsoever. So I, I kind of took a step back. Um, I went and sat out on a, literally uh, went and sat out on a hill in West Virginia and um, said, okay, I, I can't keep doing this. What am I going to do? 
and I kind of went through a process of um, when I was in the Marines, it was the calling. I'm sure you understand that. Yep. You know, you, you got up every morning and some days were good. Some days are bad, but you, you weren't getting paid a whole lot and you believed in what you did. And so my work at the Pentagon, my work at Raytheon was great work, good people, all that good stuff, but it wasn't a calling. It was interesting, but it wasn't a calling. So I wanted to get back to that. And that kind of took me down a path of, you know, I remember when I was a kid, um, you know, I guess you and I are both old enough to remember like the Sears Wish Book catalog. I, yes. I love that. I'm a big holidays guy. And so you get, <laughs> love it. You, go, yeah. you go through that and there's the, the pictures of all the Winchester stuff and all the Browning stuff and um, all the cult stuff. And, you know, I, I grew up in a family that hunted a lot. So I was always excited to get that kind of gear and see that kind of stuff. So my, my instinct was, yeah, I'll, I'll go work for a firearms company. I'm, I've always, while I, I was never uh, purposefully a Second Amendment guy, I was always surrounded by it and I understood it all and I understood the history behind it. So um, I started looking into to the firearms industry and what I found was, well, Colt is, um, it's it's not an American company. It's a, it's a Czech company. Yes. And I was like, okay, well, that, that, that can't be, that's, that's a throwaway. Well, let's, let's, let's take a look at, at Browning. Uh, well, that's a, that's a Belgian company. FN owns Browning. I was like, all right, well, maybe, maybe, um, maybe Winchester, you know, Oliver Winchester, great American. Right. Mm -hmm. And Nope. Hasn't been a company since the late or early sixties when they sold off their name to Olin chemicals. And they sold it to the Belgians also. Okay, so we're, we're like, I'm, I'm running out of American titans of the firearms industry. And it, it just, it got to the point where I was like, this is silly. Like, we don't have, regardless of what the media wants to purport, we don't really have an American firearms industry anymore. Yes, very yes. you're absolutely very right. Companies that are actually American firearms companies now. And in those very few, most of them, they don't really, they, they don't build firearms. They, they take components that are built in South Korea, um, Spain, Japan. They import those uh, components and they put them together somewhere and they ship them out and they say, Ooh, look, it's, we're an American company. And from... From as an American citizen, I looked at that and said, this is just ridiculous. This is sad. This is disappointing. And as a business guy, at the same time, the, the neurons connected. And I said, okay, there's a real opportunity here. Absolutely. And I basically decided at that point in time, I'm going to go build the next great American firearms company. I'm going to build something where we build rifles. We build them here in America with American steel, aluminum, pick your raw metal. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to only bring on people to work here who are great Americans, people that have strong defense industrial backgrounds, people who have special operations backgrounds. Um, and so we, we, we started that journey. Um, there, we went through a number of different companies we were looking at. There was one down in Houston. It used to be F1 Firearms. Yep. And what, where, they, where they really made their name was competition uh ARs. So for the, the viewers who don't know, um 
you know, most AR style rifles or M4s, when you shake them or when you move them, there's a lot of play in them. Yep. And, and that's for a reason, dirt, water, mud, whatever falls out of them. Um, our rifles, the foundation that F1 was built on was all competition. They're incredibly tight tolerance rifles. So they have a, a sub um, um, minute of angle type of accuracy. So at a hundred yards, we can shoot dime groups all day long with it. The reason I became attracted to them was for that, for that foundation, the quality of these rifles. And now we're building pistols. Now we're moving into hunting rifles. Now we're doing a whole bunch of, of new things. I'm trying to push the company as fast as we can go as quickly as we can go. Um, but it was built on precision and quality. Yes. And so that was the foundation is, you know, Petros or Peter, this is the rock that I'll build my church on. So we bought the company and uh, we're off and running, man. And it's, it's pretty exciting. Yeah, it's very exciting. You and I were talking before I uh, partnered up with you too. And I wanted to get down to the factory. I've mentioned this before, just to, just to see it, get eyes on, get hands on. And the fact that, I mean, it doesn't get much more American than being in Texas, but to get into the, into the factory, to deal with the machinists, to, to seriously see that block of aluminum, that it's just there. And then they make the gun out of these parts. And obviously we have the Nisro, which is a 5.56 or 0.223, whichever we're allowed to call it. The Navy seal Rob O'Neill rifle that's on the watchtower website. Um, I came down there and we actually designed that in about a day and a half, but yeah but literally designed it and and to the point where you're saying with the, pre the precision the minutes of angle that there is no there's no given watching watching them measure it to the the length of a quarter of a hair and if it's bigger or smaller it goes back into the scrap metal and even seeing the 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 recyclable stuff that you recycle into new aluminum to make the new guns american made american workers and the i was impressed because i mean I've dealt with gun companies before and it was, it was more of a, Hey, just put your name on this and we'll call it your gun. I was not interested in that, but this one, everything, even to the laser engraving and the, it's just, I, I got involved because I, I wanted to be a part of something cool and this is cool. Well, yeah. And look, building your gun was, was, was very cool. We, we enjoyed the process. We enjoyed doing it with you, but I, I would also stress a couple of things. So, you know, you're getting to, to build your rifle again, based on that foundation of, of quality, mm -hmm. uh, high tolerances of all the things you just talked about. But one of the, one of the um, comparisons I always make when I talk to people is we don't build Ferraris here. We build Cobra Shelby's and we build Hellcats and demons. Nice. Um, we're putting out an, an American muscle car. We can yes, compete. Yes, yes. We can probably blow the doors off a Ferrari, but I'm not going to charge you what a Ferrari charges. I want these to be accessible weapon systems for the hunters, for self-protection, for competitive shooters. I want people to be able to employ our product without spending a ridiculous yes. sum of money. So if, if, for the rifle that you built out, again, extremely high uh, quality, you know, sub, sub uh, minute of angle type of uh, rifle. And um, it's, it's impressive. You know, what I also like every single thing that we do from our serial numbers to where we yeah. source, everything is built on some touch point in American history. So our type 15s are our basic line of, of, of ARs. Um, 
starts with 1775. That's the serial number. And it works its way up. Um, your rifle, what's the date your rifle starts with? 5211. There you go. Yep. And I, I happen to be looking at 5211 Yes, that is mine. That is yours. <laughs> That's what I tell people too. And especially my buddies I went through buds with is like, you want to get one of these now because your buds class, be it 208, 201, 198, there's one of those guns. So you might want to get it now. And uh, these are limited. That's a, but I mean, limited and it's cool that, that gun too, just because it, the, the way we were based it, we're able to base it off of the one that I carried in Abbottabad, Pakistan and shot Bin Laden with based off of that. Um, I'll be the first to admit, though, I would have rather had the rifle that Watchtower's making because it's higher quality, like you said, the 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 the, the Shelby, the one that's going to blow your uh, blow your doors off. But just yeah, made this. There's no there's none of that shaky shit. It's just it's 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 a complete package, and and it's ready to go as soon as you get it. I just yeah couldn't couldn't be happier oh, yeah. with it. It's it's the highest quality, and again everything from our serial numbers to the, the, so a lot of people don't know, and it's kind of funny. I never again I'm a history nerd. I, I know that's a little strange for a gun company CEO, but the name Watchtower, when yes. we first rolled it out, you know, for me, it was, look, 7,100 7, souls gave their lives on Guadalcanal during Operation Watchtower. It's an homage. It's, it, is, it is an honor to, to represent those, those Marines, sailors. There weren't any airmen at that point in time, but soldiers, Coast Guardsmen, mm -hmm. they were there. Um and that, that's that's where the name came from, the turning point in the Pacific. Evidently, I didn't know this. Uh, I guess Jehovah's Witness is they have something called Watchtower that's like a news publication. So I kind oh, of really? missed that. Yeah, yeah. I got, I got a couple <laughs> of different emails from various people like, oh, what's going on with the name? I was like, guys, it's 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 a it's a war in the Pacific, now. guys, a turning point. Yeah, yeah. It's yes, yeah, it's, it's yeah, watchtowerfirearms.com. If anything else, watchtower Jehovah's Witness, that's not us. Yeah, that's we're 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 not part of that program. That's very, very cool. The the guns are amazing. Now, but okay. Uh watchtowerfirearms.com. What what else? Where do you want to where where can the people find you on Instagram? Oh Lord. So um we have uh we're we're all over social media. Our boy uh Ray Cash Care is running that yeah. for me. Yeah, I was gonna say if you if you need to hear anything loudly, just follow Ray Cash Care. You'll find everything else. You'll find me. You'll find Jason. You'll find Watchtower. <laughs> you'll find out just, how to do push-ups. <laughs> just follow you know Ray. Speaking of Ray, before we jump off this uh, this call, he I I talked to him today and I asked him, um, what should I ask Jason? He wanted me to ask you, what's the story with the plaque from Jump School that's above your reconnaissance uh, plaque or something like that? What did he say? So, so I would, I would remind all of my fellow SEAL brothers in arms that there is excellence in the basics and <laughs> what, what we do is about mastering the basics. Master the basics, right. Master the basics. Everything else is glory hounding nonsense. <laughs> so how, how many jumps do you have? Are we really going to get into this right now? No, Ray. This isn't me. This is Ray asking. I'm asking through Ray, through a through a colleague of ours. Um, I've hit the ground a few times. I've followed. Okay, just, we'll just we'll call it at least five. Yeah, at least, at least. Hey, I also have at least five jumps. That's good. This is this is a. <laughs> I don't mean to put you on the spot. That's Ray. You can't yell at me for this. That's Ray. That's all Ray. Ray. Huge setup. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, on that, anything else you want to close with other than the uh, watchtowerfirearms.com? You got to check out the NISRO. 
And uh, Colonel Allen West has a gun there too. We got a great team. Uh, definitely give us a follow. What do you what What do you want to What do you want to add, Jason? Before we jump. No, I, look, I hey, I appreciate your time, brother. I yeah, appreciate man. the conversation. I think this was uh, fun, and uh, it's a it's a great break in the day from uh, building out uh, yes. rifles. Um, we um, again visit us at Watchtower.com. Follow us on social media. Uh, we are we're building out that next great American uh, generation of rifles. Uh, we're trying to bring that back to the country, uh, regardless if certain segments like it or not. And uh, it's a uh, it's it's all good. Cool, cool. And and Jason, we're gonna have you back on again because we need to get more in depth as far as the uh, Second Amendment. We didn't talk about that enough. I don't want to get into it now. Obviously, we're very pro Second Amendment here, <laughs> so that's just how we roll. But anyway, uh, Jason Koloski, thank you so much. Watchtower Firearms, awesome seeing you, brother. Good seeing you too, Rob. And we'll be, be in touch later. That is that. I wanted to tell you a little bit about Watchtower Firearms, watchtowerfirearms.com. Just to check them out, American-made guns in Texas, which doesn't get more American than that. Jason was awesome. So great to talk to him. we got to get him back on so that we can talk more about the Second Amendment and, uh, you know, what we, I mean, obviously we need them because of current events, because of what's going on, and just uh, maybe a conversation needs to be had. But you, if you can have that conversation, and uh, you can always, uh, if you can always protect the, uh, the Constitution of the greatest country in the world, you're never out of the fight.